Last week we talked about, uh, we looked at point one in your outline. You'll notice that point one is, I think, a little bit lighter gray because we covered that last week. And that point was... John identifies those, the Apostle John, who had abandoned the apostolic fellowship and teaching, the apostolic fellowship and teaching the church and the teaching of the apostles, those who had abandoned it as Antichrist. And we talked a little bit about this last week. I'll talk a little bit more about it today as we go through the notes here. They didn't just abandon it and become atheists. They remained supposedly Christians. At least that's what they said. But they denied some of the truths that the apostles taught, specifically, as we learned, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we looked at that in detail last week, they denied His incarnation. That is, they denied the reality that He was divine in nature. That He was the Christ, the very Son of God, in the flesh. Okay, so as we looked at last week, Christ did not, the Christ Spirit did not come and visit Jesus and then leave Him or anything like that. But Jesus Christ was the very divine Son of God in the flesh which is the doctrine that we call the Incarnation. And so they were denying that. We talked about Gnosticism and one of the reasons why that had an influence on these Antichrists. And we also said that, listen, John identified them as Antichrist, meaning that they are opposed to Christ. They are the enemies of Christ. So regardless of what they say, they may say they're Christian. They may say they follow after the Lord or they love Jesus Christ. But the reality is this. Because they deny who Jesus Christ is, because they deny the apostolic faith, because they pervert it, they are actually, the Apostle John says, antichrist. That's what they are. And you should have no business with them. So, that was last week. This week we'll look at the next three points and we'll talk about this a little bit again. So I would encourage you, if you weren't here last week, you can get the audio version on, online or on the table. Okay, how many of you know the word syncretism? Syncretism. One, two, few. Few. Probably not a word you use very, very often. All right, let me define it. And it's important for you to, to know that word, I think because we're going to be talking about that this morning. Syncretism. It is the combination of different systems of philosophical, that's just you know, philosophy, how we think about the world or how we think about things, philosophy. It's a, it's a combination of different systems of philosophy or philosophical or religious belief or practice or systems. It's an attempt to merge two or more belief systems. Okay, can I say it that way? It's an attempt to merge, to put together two or more belief systems. So, syncretism, if I were to take the doctrines and teachings of the Jehovah Witnesses and attempt to merge them with the Mormons, I would have something else that would be syncretism. Okay? But typically within syncretism, what happens is we, we retain the title of who we are but we've taken somebody else's religious philosophies or systems and interposed them or put them together with ours. So, for instance, if a Mormon took some of the religious doctrine of Jehovah Witnesses and brought it into their Mormon faith and tried to put the two together, but yet still said they were Mormon, other Mormons would say, no, you're not a Mormon. You've changed it up because you've taken these other religious system, this other religious system, and you're trying to put it together with ours, and that doesn't work. They contradict one another. When I apply the word syncretism to Christianity, this is a good definition of it, which I found. 
It is the mixing of Christian beliefs with those worldview beliefs that are incompatible with Christianity so that the results are not biblical Christianity. Okay? So here's what it is. I take another religious system or philosophy or even the world's wisdom as a Christian. This is what syncretism is. I take it and I bring it into my religious system and I try to make them work together. Yet, if I really analyze the two, they are incompatible. And in the end, what I have is no longer Christianity. I have something that is not biblical Christianity. Do you understand that? The Jews, the ancient people of God, ancient Israel, practiced to some degree syncretism. They often adopted and embraced the religious philosophy and systems of those pagan nations that were around them. And God was constantly warning them of that. And so they would bring in their idolatry and yet at the same time claim to be worshiping the one true God who declares in His Word and declared to them that He is the only God and there is no other and yet they lived with this inconsistency that they were at the same time supposedly worshiping other gods. Incompatible. Syncretism. And then you'll notice even within the Ten Commandments, right? That we see in Exodus 20. Some of the first things that God deals with is, I am the one and only true God. You shall have no other gods, little g. Because there are no other gods. But people thought there were. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make an idol to that God and worship it. You shall not do it, because I'm it. I'm it. I am the one and only true God that is the God of Israel, the God that has revealed Himself to the nation of Israel and revealed Himself to us through His Word. And most importantly, beloved, God, the one true God, has revealed Himself to us through the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So, let's read the text. Let's read the text. And, by the way, here, let me say something else. Wow, I'm going to have a hard time staying on notes today. It's going to be difficult. I have a lot in my head. The, when you look at the, the Old Testament period of time, people are worshipers. They're worshipers. So, people, all people are always worshiping something. You know why that's true? Because we were made to worship. God created us to worship. But He created us to worship Him alone, the one true God. So here's what people do. Because of our sin nature, oh, we worship, but we worship a God of our own making. That's what, that's what idolatry is. And sometimes, and often now, we find that God even within ourselves. We are God. That's self-worship. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you that a little bit later on, but that's a real popular theme in our culture today. And it has been, by the way. It's nothing new. We are God. I am God. I worship myself. And the reason we do that is because of sin and because we were created to worship. So God continually is calling His creation back 
to the truth and the reality that, listen, there are no other gods. You are not a god. That dumb statue over there is not a god. There is no sun god, moon god, god of Saturn. I am God. I'm the one and only true God. And I have revealed myself to you through my Son, Jesus Christ, who is God, very God in the flesh. And this is why Jesus Christ and the worshiping of God and all of that is so closely connected. To deny Jesus Christ is to deny the one true God. So anyway, let's go back to the text. Let's look at this. 1 John 2, 18-27. We'll read the text and we'll jump right into it. Follow along with me. Verse 18, page 1021, if you're not there in those blue Bibles. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all are not of us. But you... You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge, or you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. Verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So this morning, we're going to conclude our study here in 1 John 1, or 1 John 2, that is, sorry, verses 18 through 27. And if you look in your outline, you'll see we're going to consider the next three, we considered the first one, the next three last week, the next three of four ways in which the Apostle John equips and warns his readers against false teachers so that we also might have confidence in our faith. That's what we believe about Christ, our Christian faith, and not fall prey to the many deceiving voices that are out there. Okay? So, we're going to jump right into point two because we looked at point one last week. The Apostle John assures his Christian readers that they have been anointed by the Holy One and have knowledge. And we're going to look at verses 20 and 27. Last week we looked at verses 18 and 19, 22 and 23, and verse 26. So we're not going to really cover those this week. Now we're, And I told you last week we're kind of skipping around in the passage because that's kind of how John functions. He's, he doesn't have like a logical flow. He kind of jumps around and comes back to things back and forth. So in order to keep an outline running, we kind of have to jump around. So we'll look at verses 20 and 27, and we'll begin with verse 20. Look back at the Word of God with me. 1 John 2.20. Here's what he says. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Do you see that word but there? 
at the beginning of the verse, verse 20. You see that? Okay, it's designed to contrast. That's what but is. It's a contrast. So he was saying something in verses 18 through 19, and now he says but. So it's designed to contrast John's Christian readers. Those are the people he's writing to. He believes they are true Christians. We saw that in earlier passages where he says, you, you know the Father. You have a relationship with the Father. So he contrasts the Christian readers with those he just described in verses 18 through 19. Who are they? Those are the Antichrist. The Antichrist, as John refers to, and that we talked about last week. Remember, these are people who were outwardly members of the Christian community for a time. But eventually, they came out from, they departed, they excused themselves from that Christian community, still identifying themselves as Christian, but now teaching a doctrine that contradicted the apostolic faith or what the apostles had taught the Christians. And they were attempting now to deceive the Christians that they were once a part of. And that's why John says, listen, we know they're not of us because they left us. They departed. If they were of us, if they had our, the Spirit of God living inside of them, if they were really Christians, they would have remained with us. They would have stayed committed to the apostolic faith. So he's comparing now. He says, all right, opposed to those guys. Here's these guys over here. But you guys, you Christian guys and gals, you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge, which means they don't, the Antichrist. Now, I mentioned last week that it's generally believed by Bible scholars that the deceivers or the Antichrist that John referred to, or refers to here in this text, adhered to some early form of Gnosticism. Do you remember that from last week? I, I put that word out there. It's a, it's a false human philosophy that, by the way, still exists today. Listen to me. It still exists today. I'm going to prove it to you here halfway through the sermon. It's still alive and well in the 21st century, Gnosticism. They attempted to combine these antichrists, okay, in the first century. They attempted to combine or merge this false philosophy, Gnosticism, with Christianity, syncretism. They attempted to kind of put it into there and, and try to create something new and fresh. In effect, they poisoned what was pure. Okay? They poisoned what was pure, which was the apostolic Christian faith. So they took a clean glass of water, which was that apostolic Christian faith, and they poured into it Gnosticism, which is poison, and they've ruined the whole thing. So it may still have elements of Christianity in it. It may still use terms that Christianity uses, but it is no longer Christian. It is a perversion of Christianity. That's what they did. This is why John comes out against them so strongly. He's not saying, hey guys, they just have a different view. They're still brothers in Christ. We're still good with them. We can still be friends. He's not saying any of that. He's saying they're deceivers. They're liars. They are anti-Christ. Opposed to Christ. The very enemies of Christ. This is serious. And by the way, it's serious still today. 
is serious still today. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. Now, as we discussed last week, this false philosophy mixed, Christian, mixed with Christianity ultimately led to a rejection, and I mentioned this earlier, it led to a rejection of Jesus' nature, uh, the incarnation, the apostolic teaching that while Jesus was on earth and while he is now in heaven, he is and was the Christ, the unique, the unique, remember that word, unique, and divine Son of God the only begotten of God. He is the Son of God in the flesh. God took on flesh and dwelt among us. The Son of God. To say it another way, the man Jesus and the eternal Son of God, the Christ, were and are the same person. They always were and they always will be. Now, I want to add something else to our discussion about Gnosticism. This is very important. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis. Gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. That word means knowledge. Okay? Knowledge. Gnostics were understood to be the knowing ones. The knowing ones. But this is not a type of knowledge that you obtain from going to school and sitting under instructors. Rather, it was a mysterious or secret knowledge, a mysterious or secret knowledge, sometimes referred to as an esoteric knowledge. How many of you have heard the word esoteric? A few. How many of you have used that word in the last couple of weeks? None of you, right? Oh, two. Wow, very excellent. All right. Listen, this is what esoteric means. Maybe you're sitting here going, if I don't use the word and I haven't heard the word in the last two weeks, why do I even care? You should care. As defenders of the apostolic faith, as Christians who are supposed to stand for the truth, you should care. You'll see why in a moment. So I want you to learn the word esoteric with me because every time you hear it, it's a ding, 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 ding warning sign that something bad is about to follow. Okay? Esoteric is, means this, difficult to understand and restricted to and understood by only a few. Esoteric. So the knowing ones had esoteric knowledge. Something that you and I would look at and go, huh? Well, of course you don't understand. We understand, though. And the reason they understand is it was a knowledge that supposedly came from participation with the divine. Now, if you want me to explain that to you, I can't because I still don't exactly understand what they mean by that because it's, Esoteric. It's confusing, but in some way, they were connected with the divine, divine spirit, something. Somehow they had a participation with the divine, and through that participation, they had this secret, mysterious, spiritual knowledge that was restricted to them, and they knew and understand, and, and so they were the knowing ones, Gnostics. Okay? They believed that they alone then had a special or a higher or a deeper Listen, when you hear people start saying, listen, I'm going to show you something you've never seen before, a deeper, I have a deeper spiritual knowledge. You've probably never heard this, but I've got, a, I've got this in with God and I can, I can give you this meaning that, you know, you'll, I know you've never heard this, but listen, it's true. When you hear that kind of stuff, that is esoteric knowledge. Listen, we've been, the Christian church has been around for 2,000 years. 
So if, if someone's coming up with new things, we've got a problem. You, we've got a problem. They've got a problem. That's the issue. And this idea, this Gnostic type of thinking has invaded even the church and Christians in the way they talk, in the way they approach the Scriptures. Gnosticism, that's all it is. All right, listen. So I'm getting a little riled up, but you'll understand here in a second. So they believe they have this higher spiritual truth. You know what they are? This is all they are, spiritual elitist. Do you know what the word elitist is? You know, I'm better than you. I'm higher than you. I'm more important than you. They were spiritual elitists. So the Gnostics walked around, look at me, I'm, I have direct link with the divine and I have this knowledge that's very hard to understand and is restricted to only a few. I happen to be one of the few. Thank you very much. And you obviously are not. You know, if you could only discover the truth as I have discovered the truth, maybe you could become part of our Gnostic club too. And so it was that approach. It almost put everybody in an inferior position. Oh yeah, you're a Christian? Yes, but do you have the secret knowledge that I have? You obviously don't have a direct connection with God. So, knowing all of that that I just said, it's going to help you better understand when you read these words of John here, they come to life then. Because you understand the context in which John is writing. And they have more meaning, more impact to us today in the 21st century. Now let's go back to the text. With all of that in your mind, spiritual elitist claiming to have a secret knowledge 1 John 2.20, look back at the text. He just talked about these spiritual elitists. You know what John called them? Antichrist. That's John's definition. That's how John defines them. He doesn't say they're elite in any way. He brings them low. They are opposed to Christ. They are enemies of Christ. And in contrast to these men and women that were attempting to deceive the church, he says this, but you... My Christian readers, you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all, every single one of you, have knowledge. You have knowledge. In contrast, as I said, to these deceivers or antichrists, John's readers actually had been anointed by the Holy One and actually had true spiritual knowledge in contrast to what these spiritual elitists may have been saying or teaching. Okay, so we've got to break this down. What does anointed by the Holy One mean? What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 27, chapter 2, verse 27, and this will help us get to that meaning a little bit here. It says, But the anointing, there's the word again, John comes back to it, that you received from Him and abides in you. Do you see that? The anointing abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Now, two things here. We're going to have to move a little bit faster. The first phrase you see here, His anointing, or actually it's not the first phrase, but His anointing teaches, but as His anointing teaches, indicates that the anointing is a teacher. This anointing teaches. Okay? This implies that the term anointing is actually being used by John as a reference to a person. A person teaches. A person teaches. Now I believe, as I just heard from the front row here, that the person is the Holy Spirit. The one who abides in you. You see that in the text in the first part. 
this anointing that you receive from him abides or dwells in Christians. And this uh, anointing teaches or instructs the believer. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Hold the thought. Second, the word him, the word him, pronoun, look at it in the phrase, the anointing that you receive from him in the first part of 1 John 2, verse 27. And the words holy one in the phrase, you have been anointed by the holy one back in verse 20. Okay, So we have two things going on. We have the anointing that you receive from him in verse 27 and you have been anointed by the holy one in verse 20. Both of these verses are linked together. Those two phrases, holy one and him, are linked together with the anointing. They obviously refer to the same person. So whoever the holy one is, is the him, and whoever the him is, is the holy one. You follow me? So who are the him and the holy one? Well, let's continue reading past verse 27, even though it's not part of our study today. This is what, I am showing you what it means to study a passage in context. So we look at, the surrounding verses, we get our information about the Word of God right from the Word of God. Not from some esoteric special connection that comes in from outer space, invades our souls, and and gives us a meaning that no one else can find in the Scriptures. That's not how we understand the Word of God. We find in the Word of God its instructions about what it means. Okay, so, so we look at grammar, we look at context, we look at history, we look at language, And we look and we find there what it means so that any person can figure out what this book means. You don't have to be an elite, a spiritual Gnostic. So here we go. Just read down 1 John 2.28. And there it says, And now, little children, abide in Him. Stop. Abide in Him? Abide in Him carries the thought right from verse 27 just as it is taught you, abide in Him. At the end of verse 27, the Him there is the same Him that has anointed, okay? So, but the anointing that you receive from Him, beginning of verse 27, abide in Him, okay? Then verse 28 says, and now little children, abide in Him, okay? So whatever the Him is, is the Him and the Holy One. And then he says, so that when He, another pronoun, appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Who's coming? Yeah, see? Jesus Christ is coming, right? So, the Him, the Holy One, who is it? Yes. I didn't need any esoteric knowledge there, did I? Just, I needed to look at the text, evaluate the text, language. God has given language as a gift to the church, beloved. You know why? So that He might communicate with us. His creation. He has not selected a few out of the masses who have some secret knowledge and they can look into the Word and find stuff that no one else can find. That is what some people say. That is how some preachers act. I'm so worked up because I haven't got to this spot yet. But All right, so listen. We know it's Jesus Christ. You see that. The hymn in verse 27 is a reference to Jesus Christ. So this hymn in the Holy One is Jesus Christ. By the way, you want more evidence? The Holy One is referred to, Holy One, Jesus is referred to in the, as the Holy One in Mark 1.24, John 6.69, Acts 2.27, Acts 3.14. Just a couple of places in other scripture references where Jesus is specifically referred to the Holy One. Isn't God referred to as the Holy One in the Old Testament? You bet. 
But that makes total sense to me. Because Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. You see? When you understand the Scriptures rightly, they make sense. When you don't, they make no sense. All right, let's go on. Now, back to the term anointing. John doesn't stop to explain. And the reason I explain to you who's the one giving the anointing, because it's going to help in a second here. Jesus Christ is the one who is giving this anointing. Okay? That's going to help us understand what the anointing is. All right. Back to the term anointing. John doesn't stop. He doesn't say, by the way, this is what the anointing is. Do you notice that in the text? He doesn't tell us. You know why he doesn't tell us? I don't know. I'm going to make an assumption that he doesn't tell his readers because when he was writing, he wasn't thinking, I'm going to write to Summit Bible Church in the 21st century. He was writing with an audience in mind. That audience was the church in the first century who I believe must have known what he meant. Because they had conversations with John outside of what's recorded in the Scripture. They understood what the anointing was. All right, but what about us? How are we going to understand it? Well, we're going to probably have to look at some other Bible passages to try to figure it out. We could guess, but I don't like guessing. I think we need to look at what the Word of God says in context. So, I'll just tell you this right up front. The anointing, as I said earlier, as my friend here said in the front row, the anointing is regularly and commonly understood to be, by Bible scholars, a reference to the person of the Holy Spirit, the anointing. The Holy Spirit, by the way, let's just, so we're all clear, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God. We believe in a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Third person of the triune God. That was, by the way, promised by Jesus to his disciples and is the same Holy Spirit that is given to every Christian at the time of their salvation. Not later on, not some second kind of event. It, the Holy, I shouldn't say it, He, forgive me, He, the Holy Spirit, the person, third person of God, enters into or abides in the Christian at the time of their salvation when they receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Now, I said this understanding that the anointing is the gift, and it is a gift, of the person of the Holy Spirit is based on other passages in Scripture. So these are some that you can write down and you can look up on your own because we don't have time to cover all these today. So here's a few. The idea of, the idea of anointing uh, used of the Holy Spirit in connection with Jesus Christ being the, by the way, the anointed one, if you don't know that, Jesus Christ is the anointed one. You know why he's the anointed one? Because he has the anointing. You know what he has? The Holy Spirit empowering him for ministry that we see came down upon him at his baptism. You can look at Luke 4.18 and Acts 10.38. And in those passages you'll see the connection with the anointing, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ. If you look at 2 Corinthians 1.21-22, their anointing is used in connection with the Holy Spirit being given to Christians by God. By God. God anoints Christians with the Holy Spirit. Further, when you consider passages from John's Gospel, who wrote 1 John? Yeah, there. It's a, it's a trick, I know. But it's right there in the name of the book. John wrote it. Who wrote John? The Apostle John. The same guy that wrote Revelation and the Gospel of John. Okay? When you look at John's Gospel, remember, he wrote First John. He also wrote John's Gospel. He wrote the Gospel of John. When you look at John 14, you can write these down, look them up. Verse 17, verse 26. John 15, verse 26 through 27. John 16, verse 13 through 14. 
Here's what you'll find in those passages. They refer to the Holy Spirit who will be sent by Jesus from God the Father to His disciples. And you see that there's a promise that this Holy Spirit will no longer just be with them, but will actually abide, dwell in them. Something very new and different in the believer. And in those passages you will find that the Spirit's role is explained as teacher. As teacher. And the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. So when you take all of that, and then you look at John 2, 1 John 2, verses 20 and 27, and you read there about an anointing by the Holy One. Who's that? Jesus Christ. Who teaches them, the Christian readers, the truth, and abides in them or dwells in them, clearly then you see that the words in 1 John are connected with the words that are recorded in John's Gospel about the promise of the Holy Spirit who is given to every Christian. And this is how we logically come to the place where the anointing is the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. I've heard people say stuff like, he's got the anointing, she's got the anointing. Beloved, Every Christian, true Christian, has the anointing because they have the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? So again, we set up these, these levels. Oh, he's, he's got the anointing, so he's above me. What are you talking about? If you're a Christian, you have the anointing. So, so what? Okay, so you've spent a lot of time talking about that, so what? Well, here's the what. John's emphasis here on what his Christian readers possessed, what they had, that is that they had the Holy Spirit or the anointing, and as a result of having the Holy Spirit, actually had spiritual knowledge and were taught by the Holy Spirit what is true and what is false in spiritual matters, meant that the primary reason that his those Christian readers did not abandon the apostolic faith like the others did, the Antichrist, the primary reason they didn't abandon, but rather continued in the truth, is because the Spirit of Truth actually abided in them. The Spirit of Truth actually lived in them and guided them. What this implies is it is difficult, if not impossible, for a true, born-again Christian, meaning they have the anointing, they have the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth living inside of them, it is difficult, if not impossible, for that person to remain or continue in a lie or a false religion. That's what it means. Here's the Antichrist. But you! You stayed... You have not departed. You remain loyal to the apostolic faith. You want to know why? You have the anointing. And He teaches you the truth. So it also means this, by the way. The Christians, they lacked nothing. See, these spiritual elitists, and they're here today, beloved. They're in the 21st century. I'll show them to you in a moment. They... They walk around and they imply by the way they talk and speak and their demeanor that you lack something and they've got something you don't. 
They've got a higher spiritual knowledge than you. You know what I mean? It's like whenever, listen, I, I always get in trouble when I do this, but college is good and all that. I always recommend it and everything. But there's something about sometimes heavily educated people. Not all. I, okay? Don't, don't attack me here. Not all. But when, if they have a lot of degrees after their name, sometimes, sometimes they have an air about them when they speak to someone without a high school diploma. Right? And there's just a sense like, you're up there and I'm down here. Okay, so I'm not going to comment on that. I'm just going to go back over here where I'm safe. The spiritual elitist dealt that way with these people. I'm up here. I am connected. You are not connected. And they're still doing it today. And they intimidate poor Christians. These poor Christians who actually have the Holy Spirit. And know the truth because they have the Holy Spirit. And yet they intimidate them to thinking maybe they don't. Maybe these Gnostic false teachers have something that I need. And John is saying, you don't need them. They don't even have the Spirit of God. Yet they claim to. We'll skip the next uh, slide. So basically he's saying, don't be rattled by what, what they are saying. Don't be rattled, guys. You know and believe the truth because you have the spirit of truth dwelling and abiding inside of you. You have the anointing. You have knowledge. They claim they have knowledge? No. So that helps us then in context. And boy, I've heard this verse taken ripped right out of its passage, right out of, right out of 1 John and used in such terrible ways. When you go back and you see in verse 27 where he says, and you have no need that anyone should teach you? So, okay. It, so let me just rip that out of context here for a second. I'll show you how it works. Oh, the Word of God says that I have as a Christian no need for anyone to teach me. Therefore, Pastor, I don't need to listen to you. I, actually, that's not what's going on in the passage. And if that is what John's saying, then he contradicts the Apostle Paul who talks about the gift of pastors and teachers in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, that is given to the church. Why? So that the church might be built up, that they might become to maturity in Christ. And oh, by the way, John himself is acting as teacher as he instructs this congregation. Come on. Is that what it means? That as Christians you don't need teachers? You just, you, you are your own teacher? You just go to yourself? No, that's not what it means. He is challenging now the authority of those false teachers, those antichrists. In context, he's going after them, the ones who are trying to deceive them. And he's saying they are antichrists. Listen, they're antichrists. You have the anointing. You have knowledge. Regardless of what they claim, you lack nothing. You have the Holy Spirit. You know the truth. You don't need to listen to them. They want to be your teachers. You don't need them. They can't offer you anything you don't already have. They falsely say they have the truth, but you know what? You have the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of truth actually abides in you. Here's what one writer says. As having God's anointing, they all know God's truth and so are not dependent upon the assertions of an elite few. They know the reality 
and reliability of God's truth through the teaching of the indwelling Spirit. The indwelling Holy Spirit enables them to perceive, understand, the difference between God's truth and the spurious claims of the Gnostics. False. The false claims. That's why they remained, beloved. That's why they stayed in the truth. Do you know why people who once were in the Christian church, do you know some like this? They'll tell you something like, yeah, I used to go to a Baptist church, you know, my mom and dad made me, I grew up in that, or I used to go to this Christian church, but now they have left and they, they may even claim to still be Christian, but they're in some false religion. Do you know why that happens? They never had the Holy Spirit to begin with. That's what John is saying. If they had the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Truth would have taught them that what they were hearing, what they were being attracted to, what they were trying, what people were trying to deceive them with was not true. They would have known it. And they would have, more importantly, known that the apostolic message that we have here was true. Was true. By the way, who authored the apostolic message? Do you know? The apostles, yes. But who's actually behind the scenes? Who is the author? Oh, it's the Holy Spirit. Here, you want to check that? That's 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Look it up. Not right now. 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 through 21. It was the Holy Spirit. These men were moved by the Holy Spirit as they recorded these words. So that is why Timothy can say, we have, this, we have actually God-breathed words here recorded down through the apostles. So hear me now. The Holy Spirit is the author of this book. The Holy Spirit that abides in you and I confirms the reality that this is His writing and this Gnostic nonsense is not His writing. That's why Christians remain in the true faith. So, wow. Ten minutes. Okay, so let's do this. First point was John, in order to guard his, his flock, in order to encourage them and give them confidence, he identifies those who had abandoned the apostolic fellowship, or the, I'm sorry, apostolic, oh my goodness, apostolic fellowship and teaching as antichrist. That's the first thing. He says, don't worry about those guys. They oppose Christ. I don't care what they're saying about Jesus Christ, that they follow him. No, they don't. They're enemies of Jesus Christ. They're enemies of the gospel. Second, he assures his Christian readers that they have been anointed by the Holy One and they have knowledge. They claim to have knowledge. They claim to have the Spirit of God, the divine, some participation with it. They don't. You do. That's why you remained. They left. Now the third point. The Apostle John assures his Christian readers that they know the truth. That they know the truth. Quickly, look back at 1 John 2.21. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. So unlike the Gnostic false teachers, the, the Antichrist, which is what they are, John has, he's not bringing some new spiritual truth to them or teaching. He's not saying, hey, I have something new for you like the Gnostics did, but rather he's encouraging his Christian readers that they already know about Jesus Christ and the Christian faith. They already know the truth through the apostles. Through the apostles. And 
They need not then be concerned about all of the stuff that these false teachers, these antichrists, are bringing forth. They need not be concerned about that. Listen, guys, you know the truth. And no lie is of the truth. No lie of the Antichrist is of the truth. One writer puts it this way. They, they, the Christian reader, should realize that no false statement comes from the truth. If people utter, speak forth, proclaim heretical statements. What's heretical? Heretical is something that contradicts or distorts, in this case, apostolic teaching. Apostolic teaching. That's what we have here. So if you have something, if they're uttering something that contradicts the apostles' teaching about Christ and Christianity, that's heretical. These heretical statements, this is an indication that they are not possessed of the divine anointing. The readers ought to be able to recognize such people for what they are. They have no share in divine reality, and consequently their statements are false. Listen, these antichrists with all their nonsense, you know what it tells me, John says, you know what it means? They don't know the truth. They don't have the spirit of truth. Therefore, they utter forth lies and they're able to do it. Because if they had the spirit of truth, there's no way they could continue to preach such blasphemy about Jesus Christ and the Christian faith. They speak lies because they don't have the spirit of truth. That's the bottom line. They do not have the anointing of the Holy One. They do not have true spiritual knowledge. Even though they claimed all of those things, they are not... They are not the special recipients of higher and, spirit, and superior spiritual knowledge or truth. They are not. That's what John's saying. Okay? So you've got to just go back to that context. That's what they were presenting themselves as. Gnostics, the knowing ones. Esoteric knowledge. Some special divine connection. And John is saying, no, 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 no! They don't know anything about God and Jesus Christ, really. They don't know the truth. John's readers, though, as those devoted to the apostolic message, they knew and they followed the truth. And you know why they did it? Because they had the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, living inside of them. And that Spirit taught them what is true and what is not, just as He does today for the Christian. There are many organizations and individuals in our world today who claim to have, here we go, true spiritual knowledge. Is that right? There are many organizations and people, some you know, who claim to have true, deeper, more meaningful, superior spiritual knowledge. And they share that knowledge because they don't like to use the word teaching. They get away from that because they don't want you to be taught anything, yet that's what they do. They share, they like that word, that knowledge with you. We're just sharing so here's one. This is where that pick comes up. of, And I don't know if I'm saying his name right. I'm not going to make any comments about the picture, but Eckhart, 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 I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. Eckhart Tolle. Tolle. Do you know him? You don't? I'm so glad you don't know him, but millions and millions and millions and millions of Americans do. And people around the world because he wrote a book, he wrote several books, but he wrote a book called A New Earth. You heard of that book? Because it's been on the bestseller for it was for a while, sold millions of copies. I'll tell you why in a second. Here's a quote from, from Eckhart Tolle. He, this, is, this is a guy who claims to have 
spiritual knowledge. The truth, he says, is inseparable from who you are. Yes, you are the truth. If you look for it elsewhere, you will be deceived every time. Hold on, don't pull up the next bit. Okay, listen. Now I'm just giving you that quote. Does that sound right to you? Do I look inside for the truth? I don't. The truth is revealed to me and the spirit of truth confirms the reality that it is truth. That is what revelation is. God has to reveal himself to me. Okay? You know why? Because I'm not God. So I'm a confused individual. Not sure what. This man thinks he is God. The divine is not just in him. Kill it. The divine is just not in him. The divine is him. So like when you get to John 14:6 where Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth and the light." He doesn't say that Jesus alone is taking that to himself, that he alone can say that. You also if you are awakened to the true spiritual knowledge and deeper understanding of the scriptures, you also can understand and say that yourself so that Jeremy can say, "I am the way and the truth." and the life. And it's, it's all this... Alright, let's do this. You don't know Eckhart Tolle, right? Do you know this person? Do you know her? How popular is she in America? Alright. Oprah Winfrey repeatedly says she's a Christian. I've heard it myself. I've watched her say it. She says it over and over again. I'm a Christian. You know what? She practices syncretism. She endorses New Age spirituality. And she takes a Gnostic approach to spiritual things. So here's a quote right from Oprah. And the reason I'm bringing Oprah up is you know why Eckhart Tolle sold so many books? Because of Oprah. It was in her book club. She has them on her show regularly along with a bunch of other antichrists. And she endorses them and appreciates them and promotes them so he can sell millions of books about absolute nonsense and lies. So here's Oprah. Here's something she said. I used to think the message of Jesus was about his death and him dying on the cross. Used to think? Because that is the message, beloved. That is the message. But in reality, or really, it's about him coming to show us how to do it. Do what? To be, what? To show us the Christ consciousness that he had. Does, wait a minute. He had a Christ consciousness? So he wasn't actually Christ? No, he had a Christ consciousness. And oh, by the way, that consciousness abides with all of us. You know what you need to do? According to Oprah, you just need to awake to that. You need to discover your true inner person, which by the way, is divine. You are one with God. You are God. And yet, she claims to be Christian. That's syncretism, beloved. She's taken two opposing worldviews and attempted to put them together. In the end, you don't have Christian at all. People are so confused that when she promoted Eckhart Tolle's book, because Oprah says she's Christian, if you ask the common person, is Oprah a Christian? They'll go, yeah, she's a Christian. Because she, she promoted this New Age 
garbage called a new earth, which is about the whole earth coming to a higher level of consciousness and being one and, and loving one another, blah, 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 blah. People went into Christian bookstores and asked for the book. And the Christian bookstores were like, what? That's a new age book. By the way, she's still promoting this garbage on her network, her own network, Oprah Winfrey Network, in her life class classes. She has a series that she runs. So people can watch and... You know, if Oprah was just going to talk about stuff, fine. But they never stop talking about just stuff. They always step into the spiritual. She claims that the reason she's successful is because she tapped into the secret knowledge at a very young age. I have a different understanding of why she's successful, but it has something to do with Satan and him raising people that he wants to certain levels. But that's just my opinion. Okay, that's just my opinion. So I want to read this to you. I know we're, at, we're, we're there, we're at time, and, and we're just going to go over just a little. Listen, I want to read this to you because this was really the heart of this thing right here. But uh, the nursery workers, just remember them, okay? All right? <laughs> here is chapter one from his book. I want you to hear this, okay? Because remember, Oprah, Eckhart Tolle, linked together, two birds of a feather, all that stuff. The chapter one is the flowering of the human consciousness, consciousness Okay? So if you hear the word uh, esoteric or raising your level of consciousness or the divine within or the spark or all of that garbage, run. Toll begins with an allegorical story. Oh, they just love these. You know, here's, I'm going to tell you a story, but there's secret meaning to it. All right, Earth. Here's, this, here's how it goes. Earth, 114 million years ago, one morning just after sunrise, the first flower ever to appear on the planet opens up. It's an allegorical story, okay? To receive the rays of the sun. He's going to teach us something here. This momentous event heralds an evolutionary transformation in the life of plants. Okay? This is used by Toll as an analogy for a transformation in human consciousness that he sees is about to occur and has already begun. It's already begun. You may not know this, but it's happening right now. So he believes that the earliest such flowers or spiritual messengers were in the forms of Buddha, Jesus, and I can't pronounce his name, Lee, Leazi, or he's a Chinese, ancient Chinese philosopher, and other such great teachers. Did you get that? Did you get, did you get what he did with Jesus Christ? He was just one of those flowers in the line with Buddha and other philosophers of the world. And at those particular times in the periods of history, these great teachers' messages were not, here it is, fully understood. That's what it is, guys. We just got it wrong. Oh, please, tell me what I didn't understand now, 2,000 years later. So the church has been confused now for 2,000 years. Now, please, tell me, Eckhart Tolle, tell me. Tell me the truth, the, the deep secret wisdom that you have. The inspiration for the title of the book, by the way, you know where it came from? From Bible prophecy, a new earth. It seems more applicable now than at any other time in human history, he says. It occurs in both the Old and New Testament. And that's common for false teachers to use the Bible to support their views. They twist it, pervert it. He says it occurs in both the Old and New Testament. It speaks to the collapse, get this, the collapse of the existing world order and an arising of a new heaven and a new earth. Beloved, when the Bible says new heaven and new earth, what is it saying? It's saying a new heaven and new earth, guys. It actually means that. That's what it means, okay? No, it doesn't. We need to understand here that heaven is not a location, but refers to the inner realm of consciousness. 
This is the esoteric meaning of the word. And this is also its meaning in the teachings of Jesus. It says who? It says who, Eckhart Tolle. And believe me, this is what kills me. When these guys just speak, Oprah and her whole gigantic audience, and I can imagine all those at home, they applaud, they go, oh, that's so beautiful, it's so wonderful, all the knowledge is just spewing forth from this man. They don't question it, they don't challenge it. This gets challenged 57 ways from Sunday. Right? But they can spew out whatever they want. Oh, man. Ooh, wow. Where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. Satan. Antichrist. That's where it came from. So then he goes on. Earth, on the other hand, is the outer manifestation in form, which is always a reflection of the inner. Collective human consciousness and life on our planet are intrinsically connected. A new heaven is the emergence of a transformed state of human consciousness, and a new earth is a reflection in the physical realm. Since human life and human consciousness are intrinsically one with the life of the planet, as the old consciousness dissolves, there are bound to be synchronistic, geographic, and climatic natural upheavals in many parts of the planet, some of which we are already witnessing now. Are you a little confused? You should be. You should be because this is nonsense. So he says, look, I can prove it. You see all the stuff that's happening, you know, like the tornadoes and stuff? That's a sign that the consciousness is evolving. We're having upheavals. We're going to arrive at this new level. Beloved, listen to me. In Matthew, this is probably one of the most important things I could tell you. Maybe, I don't know. Matthew. In Matthew chapter 2, when they wanted to find out, when the king wanted to know where Jesus was going to be born, they came to him and they said, he'll be born in Bethlehem. Do you know how they knew that? Because the prophets wrote that he would come forth from Bethlehem. Now you're going, so what? I'll tell you so what. Bethlehem actually meant a place, Bethlehem. It didn't mean some higher consciousness or some other meaning that isn't in the natural meaning of the word. And that's what people do with the scripture all the time. Nobody can know anything if we can't look at the Scripture and figure it out by using the literal, historical, grammatical approach to understanding the Scriptures. Otherwise, we're just like these Gnostics. Oh, I know you can't see it here, but let me show you. I have a secret meaning that's been revealed to me after many years of praying and working through. So here it is. I can't, I don't even, there's no way I can't get to that, I can't see that, and no one else can see that. Well, you just, you need help. You need, I need help? I don't need any help. That's the same thing that's going on. So these guys spew forth this junk and people just suck it in and go, wow, I don't, I don't see how he got there, but it, the reason he got there is it's an esoteric meaning. And an esoteric meaning is difficult to understand. That's why I can't understand it. And it's limited to only a few, the elite. And he's the elite. Ah, oh, guru, bow down. I'll buy your book and make you rich. You're so wonderful and great. And people are led astray. But Christians, beloved, have the Spirit of God living inside of them and they should know better. There's a never-ending list of these people. We've got we to gotta be done. We're going to skip all of this, Oprah and her demonic-inspired friends and so on and so forth. And you may not know that, and I am glad that you don't know that. And it's no attack on, on Oprah the person, okay? No attack on her. Oprah is a person made in the image of God. She is not God, regardless of what she thinks. She is made in the image of God, but she is sincerely wrong. She is wrong, and she needs the grace of God just like every sinner does. But... She is different. 
because she is in a very powerful position and she is leading millions of people astray through her nonsense. Anyway, fourth, I'm just going to do this quick, instructs his Christian readers to continue to hold on to the truth to what they had been taught. That's the last one, the last way here. And I'll just read the text. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. John is saying simply this. Let what you heard or were taught from the beginning abide in you, which in the context of 1 John means the apostolic message that his Christian readers had received and embraced at the time that they came in contact with it, at the beginning when they first heard the gospel. And by the way, since they had heard that gospel, which was probably years before, this book, is, 1 John, is written near the end of the first century, nothing's changed. John is not saying, let me add some new things. He's saying, what you heard from the beginning, that's the same message. You don't need any new revelation. Believe the message you received in the beginning from the apostles. By the way, men, apostles, who were appointed by Jesus Christ to be his official spokesmen and representatives, the ones he left on earth. And these men, by the way, were authenticated as true apostles by their ability to do great signs and wonders and mighty works like Jesus did. People get all confused about signs and wonders and miracles. You know why they were done? Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Look at Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. They confirmed the authenticity of the apostles so that the people knew these are the guys you listen to. They are the official representatives of Jesus Christ. They are speaking for and on behalf of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Their message was written down, right? And by God's sovereign power, it was preserved for us for now over two thousand years and john is saying in the first century and saying to us let this message abide in you in other words in contrast to all the new messages that the antichrist wanted john's readers to believe and embrace john says reject that reject that for what it is it's a lie and continue to embrace and hold on to the apostolic message that you originally heard that's what he's saying And by the way, according to verse 24, if we do that, it ensures the reality of our relationship with the Son and the Father and the certain hope and the promise of eternal life. And you know what? It reminds me of Jesus' words in John 8, 31, 32. I'll end with this. Jesus said this, If you, to his disciples, abide, remain, continue, hold fast in my word, You are truly my disciples. It's not about just coming to Jesus. It's about staying with Jesus. It's about remaining with Jesus. And the people who are truly Jesus people, those who have the Spirit of God living inside of them, one of the signs that they really do is they will remain. They will abide. They will continue in the teaching, the apostolic teaching of God's Word. He says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Beloved, We abide in Jesus' words. We hold on to the message of his apostles written down and passed on to us through a book called the Bible. Anything, anything that contradicts that message or perverts it is a lie and it must be rejected by true Christians. We must abide in the truth and if we abide in the truth, we will abide in the Son and in the Father and have eternal life. We do well to remember these words. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you uh, for our time together. Father, I pray uh, 
That we would, we would just realize there is a battle and war going on. Uh, not just the one in Afghanistan and the Middle East, but one that is, and that one's serious, but something more significant, Father, than that. And I think we just miss it and we're not paying attention. There's a spiritual battle going on for the hearts of men and women to own them, to occupy their minds with nonsense and garbage, presenting itself as is some deeper and mystical and secret and esoteric spiritual knowledge that if we, if we just come to grips with, then we'll truly arrive at satisfaction or happiness or whatever nonsense they promote. Father, help us to realize there is a battle between truth and error. And you, God, alone are the one and only true God. Therefore, you alone are the dispenser of truth. I don't need to go to any other source, nor should I, regarding spiritual matters. So, Father, may it build confidence in the revelation that you have given us and that we have believed because we have your Spirit living inside of us and has confirmed the reality of those words in our hearts and in our minds. May we be careful, Father. There is so much nonsense out there. Help us. Keep us from going astray and getting caught up in all that stuff. And help us to reach out to those that are in love and with the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.